message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John chapter 15, starting with verse 1. I don't know that I mentioned this before. Uh, if you bring anybody uh, to, to be your guest tonight to Fall Fest, uh, take them. In fact, if they don't have this little card, that's still fine. But everybody that you bring as a guest tonight uh, does get a free combo meal back there. We have chicken sandwiches. We have hot dog combos. And that's just the way you can say, hey, come spend some hours with our, you know, a little bit of time this evening and come to our church. You'll have, your kids will have a great time and uh, you'll be able to, to do dinner. And uh, so that's a great way to invite some folks to come out this evening. John chapter 15. Last couple of weeks, uh, in fact, for eight weeks, we've been in this foundation series. And we're going to be in it for three more weeks, but we're going to spend all of our time in John 15. We've kind of laid out some theology. And I know some people are going, okay, I like theology. Other people are going, I'd rather have something really practical. But we're going to get to the practical now. But we've been laying this theological foundation because it is so important for us, like we knew last week, or to look in Romans 8 last week and see that we were adopted. What did that mean that we were adopted when we came to know Christ? And we really want to lay a good foundation because we can't assume that everybody just knows these things about the Bible. So we've the elders decided that, okay, let's kind of just do a foundations um, sermon series. Uh, so we've done that for eight weeks. We're going to do it for three more. We'll probably visit this again, like Foundations 2, uh, about a year, maybe a year and a half from now. Because I really want you to be well-versed. What does sanctification mean? What is justification? Those aren't just preachy words. I know they sound preachy, but guys, this is the matter of life and death for us as we go out and really live the joyous Christian life is to have a grasping, not just on big words, but what that means in our lives. And so there is a purpose behind this. But the last three weeks, I really want you to uh, to extend to you what is this call that Christ has called us to? Well, we've seen in the last couple of weeks that Christ alone, the exclusivity of Christ, why God is God, why the Bible is true and it's inerrant and infallible. We've seen all those foundational things. But what does it do in your actual life? What does a Christian look like in 2019? Well, believe it or not, 2,000 years ago, Christ actually answered that. He said, here's three relationships that you should have in your life. And we're going to look at those three relationships in John chapter 15 today. Have you ever seen uh, uh, the little plaque? Sometimes people have it in the wall prints. Other people have it in a, a plaque. All because two people fell in love. Have you ever seen that? Uh, we, we did that for, for Carly's mom and we put pictures of, of her and her dad, and then the children, and then the grandchildren. So, you know, by the way, you go up there and you look at this wall, and it really just kind of grabbed my heart. You know, even before we did it for her mom, of, you know, all because two people fell in love. And you start to see this wall of pictures of this testimony of what God has done because two people fell in love. It's really kind of cool when you think about it. And a lot of times people will have, can we show that next picture? You know, a picture like this. And Carly and I are finally kind of getting to that stage of life where, you know, it's not just, okay, me and her and, and the two girls. Now there's son-in-laws and now there's actually grandchildren. And so our picture is starting to expand. Why? Because all because two people fell in love. 
Well, this morning, I want us to kind of look at that. I hope this isn't sacrilegious. If you think it is, you can come and we can talk afterwards. John 15 is all about relationships, and it's all about what God has done in our relationships. And it really is going to be one of those things that there should be change in our life and the way that we approach life, all because we're saved by a God who saved us from our sin. Just like there's a picture, all because two people fell in love and you have all this resulting wall and these pictures and all this stories of lives that are there that have been forever changed because two people fell in love. When Jesus Christ comes in and he saves us, there should be a wall starting in the wall of our life and people should be able to say, well, man, because of this and look what God's grace did here and look how I've changed here. In other words, relationships and we should change because we've been saved by this mighty God. John 15 is a remarkable, remarkable passage in the Bible. Uh, it's, as far as I know, it's the only one. Anybody have in here uh, the, the Red Letter Bible? Okay. What do you, Sherry, you raised your hand back. What do you notice about John 15? It's all red. This is, well, I think, the only chapter in the New Testament. Now, I realize that man came in and put chapters and verses in later just so that we can organize the Bible a little bit more. It wasn't like John was saying, chapter 14, okay, now chapter 15, verse 3. You know, it's not like he did that, but we came back and we kind of put numbers and chapters. And as far as I know, this is the only chapter in the New Testament that is all in red. Chapter 17 is almost on all red if you're kind of there, uh, except for just the opening remark about Jesus praying in Gethsemane, the high priestly prayer. So this is a good book to study because it's no commentary. This isn't Paul saying, here's kind of what I think. This is Jesus and his words, and he talks about relationships. And he talks about three relationships specifically. This morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and he says, okay, here's if you're a Christian, here's your relationship with me. Here's how a Christian's relationship is with me. And we're going to, he uses this illustration of the vine and the branches. And we're going to look at that this morning. Next week, he said, okay, when you come to know Christ, if you're a true Christian, then it's going to change the way that you relate to others. And next week, we're going to see how he talks about loving one another and, and all these one another's that, that Christ brings into our lives. And then lastly, he, we finish out three weeks from now. But the last part, and he says, okay, here's your relationship as a Christian to the world. This is, but you should be in the world. So that's kind of our strategy for the next three weeks, going verse by verse. To put this in a timeline, this is after Jesus and the disciples have met for their last supper. Remember the last supper? So we're there in what we call the Passion Week, the last week of Christ before the crucifixion. This is after that. Some would say that it's still in their room, but they've already had the supper. Others say that now they've started going from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray. Somewhere along there, he is teaching all the disciples minus one. By this time, Judas has left, and he's left for the purpose of betraying Christ. So this is a teaching that is intimate. It is immediate in the sense that you know, it's, there's an urgency to it. Christ is just hours away from the cross. And it's the last teaching that we see him give to the disciples. It's all in red letters. It's a, it's a, a, 
a time when their strength and their commitment would be tested. Christ knows what's coming in their life. They don't. Unfortunately, the, the disciples pretty much clueless. Even though Christ has warned them time and time and time again, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go. I'm going to die on an old rugged cross. Boom, right over their head almost every single time. So he gives this teaching. It is intense, but he tells us the purpose. I've asked you this before, but didn't you like the teachers in school that said, this will be on the test? No. I mean, it may have been the only time that I ever listened. Okay, it's circled, highlighted. You know, excellent, because you knew that was going to be on the test. I love when somebody who is in a teaching format says, here's my purpose for this teaching. Instead of going all the way through. Uh, there's a, a preacher that I like to listen to from time to time, John Piper. And John Piper can be very overwhelming at times. And I can listen through three-fourths of the sermon and kind of go, I'm clueless where this guy's going. I'm clueless where he's going. And at the end, he says, boom, and you're going, okay, now it makes sense. I like the guys that kind of go, okay, here's what I'm talking about today, and here's what's going to make sense. So listen for these things. And Jesus does that here. Look at verse 11. John 15, 11. And I, I realize it's not the first verse, but really early on, he says, here's my intention of this teaching. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's pretty cool. I mean, what a promise. He says, okay, I'm going to be teaching for a while, and here's my purpose of teaching. Jesus says that my joy is going to be in you, and that your joy is going to be full. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for joy in my life. Okay? I'm looking for joy. There's a struggle every day to fight some of the things. Now, again, let's not confuse happiness with joy. Entirely two different things. But I'm even fighting for joy in my life on some days. Are you? And here Jesus says, okay, my intention for this teaching is that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Then I'm all ears, guys, because I want this in my life. I need joy in my life. So he kind of puts that down. He, uh, he, he wants us to know that this calling of following him, of being a true believer, is radical and that it's life-changing that it is relationship changing and it's much more than just fire insurance. I've met a lot of people, well, you know, I'm not going to go to hell. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I raised my hand while I was in the third grade. No change in their life afterwards. No fruit. Again, that's not for me to be judged, but you're going to see that Jesus really does call people out on that. He does it compassionately, but he does it very exactly. Because he says, look, if you're, if you're a true converted Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, this is the kind of life that's going to start showing up. Not overnight. Not on a timetable of two months or six months or one year. Every one of our life stories are different. Some of you, you came to know Christ and immediately there was transformation. Those things that were dark were made light. Now, theologically, that happened. And I think we've covered it. But practically, there's a lot of us that kind of go, okay, man, there's going to be a whittling down of Bobby so that Jesus more and more can come through me. Would you agree? And some it was radical. Others less radical. But here's what Jesus was saying through this passage. It will show. 
that those people that truly are following Christ, that this isn't just fire insurance, that it truly is a, a purpose for our lives and how to live. And it's not just that all of a sudden we become moral people and we were immoral before. So much more than that. To put it another way, hope I'm not being sacrilegious. It truly is as if Jesus is saying, hey man, there's a wall that demonstrates and portrays your life. And this wall could easily be said, all because Christ saved me from my sin. What would your wall look like this morning? What is different? I mean, all because two people fell in love and then we had kids and then all of a sudden we had son-in-laws and then we had grandkids and all because two people fell in love, all these things have happened. There's this evidentiary change that happened in our lives. What about this on our wall of our life? All because Christ saved me from my sin. Did you used to be a really angry people, an uh, unforgiving person? And now you still struggle with it, but you're learning more and more to show grace and compassion and kindness. Because Christ said, forgive as you've been forgiven. Not just, hey, here's a moral code. Now you start doing these morality. That's not what Christianity is. But he did say, as we'll see here, he's man, you're going to start loving my commandments. Has there been a time in your life that you didn't love the commandments of God? I mean, there's a time when you're going, man, I don't want to do that. That's no fun. He's made a true converted Christian, a true follower of Christ. He said, because you're a branch on this vine, if truly my blood is going into you, if, if I'm going to you, then he said, eventually, there's going to be transformation in your life. This is a message that we 2,000 years later need to hear church because sometimes we can be really lazy in our Christianity this is not a sermon of judgmentalism this is not a, a, a judge a sermon okay sheep to the left goats to the right you know this isn't one of those you know who am I to judge anybody but this is the words of Christ saying look if you claim to be a Christian a follower of Jesus Christ then there will be transformation in the way that you approach life and especially relationships in your life. Look at John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without apology, Christ focuses on himself as the center and the only means of true transformation in our life. My dad, years and years ago, went to uh, Dell Carnegie. Only a few people in this place will know even what I'm talking about here. That back in the 50s and 60s, when my dad went to, I think he went in the 60s, maybe in the 70s, that was like a, this way of, to be a better salesman and to uh, influence people and all these things. And it was really popular. And you kind of went there. It's almost like business training today where you would go to a life coach or something like that. And, uh, you know, you would just, it transformed the way you thought about relationships. Well, folks, this isn't life coach here. This isn't him saying, okay, do these three things and you will get along with people better. 
No, what he says is this isn't something coming from the outside in. This is something that's going to change your heart. And then your heart, you're going to start having different relationships with other people. One of the church's ill ways of pronouncing transformation in the lives of Christians has traditionally been outside in. I used the example in life group this morning. Back in the 60s, it was, you know, cut your hair, lengthen your skirt, and burn your Beatles records. You do those things, and if you do those things, then, then you know, that's a sign that, that Christ lives within you. What, outward conformity means inward change? No, the gospel is the exact opposite. The gospel says that he took a stone heart out of me and he put in a heart of flesh. And I just started thinking differently. Not because I went to some class, not because all of a sudden I went to some moral training, not because I just had a good life coach. No, because I was lost and then I was found. I was not a child of the living God. I was actually an enemy of God. And I became a child of the living God. Not because I performed some task, not because I found new morality, but because there was a Savior that died in my place and made full atonement for my sin. That's what we've been trying to talk about the last couple of weeks. Foundational, why? why? And now we see what's going to happen from this point on. Jesus says, I am the vine. This is one of many I am sayings. He said, I'm the door. Remember, he said, I'm living water. There's a lot of times that Jesus would use this phrase and he would draw an illustration. He says, I am. In this place, he says, I am the vine. And for the Jewish people, and that would have been the disciples, that would have meant something because Israel kind of had as their um, symbol for the nation, they had the vine. Like we had the bald eagle, kind of a symbol of the America. That was the vine. And in the Old Testament, you're going to see in Psalms 80 and all these other places where it talks about Israel and the vine. Even on the front of Herod's temple, there was this big old massive thing of the vine out there. And when they walked in front of the temple, they were reminded that Israel, the Jewish people, these called out people, they were the vine. And that vine failed. And they re- rebelled against the holy God. See, a lot of Jewish people kind of think what we think. That they were in with God because they could trace lineage. Well, my great, great, great granddaddy was Abraham. And because Abraham's in, I'm in. And God says that's not how it works. The hope came through a lineage. And there's a promise and a covenant that comes through the lineage of Abraham. But he says, life comes through my son. This would have been radical. And so what's the first thing that Jesus says when he starts to give this illustration? Look in verse 1. What does Jesus say? Go ahead and say. What kind of vine? true vine because they're battling in their mind that Israel was this vine remember this is their symbol of their nation that God has given to them and so he says look you're a vine that failed (laughs) you didn't follow God you rebelled against God so Jesus says look I want you to know I'm still going to use this vine illustration but I want you to know now you're looking at the true vine and my father's the vine dresser 
they would have gotten this a lot more than we do. It would have meant something to them for Jesus to say, I'm the true vine. And then he goes on, and, and just the chapter four before, in, in chapter 14, Jesus said, no, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's just said that. Now he starts talking about this transformed life for the people that do come to the Father, that we just start changing. And look what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. There's a lot of different scholarly interpretations of this. There's three major ones. I won't go into all three of those. I basically think that... uh, to me, what Jesus is saying, look, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, truly is a Christian. You, you can say you're a Christian, but not everybody's a Christian. And, and he's basically saying that, that God, the vine dresser, is going to cut those branches off. It's kind of direct. Could be insulting if you just were looking for insult. But his purpose isn't to insult, it's to inform. He says, but there's also these other branches and and they bear fruit. He's talking about followers, true followers of Christ. But even then, what does it say that he does, that the Father does to these true followers of Christ? He said he prunes them. Have you ever been pruned? But it says why he does it. Even these ones that bear fruit, he prunes, that it may... Yeah. If... John 15 is all about relationships. We don't have time for testimonies. I wish we did this one. But I imagine there'd be many of you that could say, if I said, does anybody have a testimony on this? Could stand this one and say, hey, hey, Bobby, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I can testify that. And the time that God was pruning my life, it wasn't pleasant. But here's what came out of it. I truly, I do feel like I have more compassion now. I have more of this. He taught me through this pruning process to be a little bit more like him. I wouldn't have chosen that path. Didn't really want to go through that path. Felt like he was kind of pushing me down that path. But now that I've been through that path, I, I can truly say that, that he's working through that and he's transforming relationships in my life because of what he has shown me. See, that's what the Bible says. Throughout the New Testament, we're going to see this constant word, folks, that we are not saved by our works. Don't think that any one person here, not even one person, can get to heaven because you're a good person. If there's anything that I hope that we kind of clarify on a regular basis is that this Christianity is not about morality to a means of being saved. Morality is what comes as a fruit in our life. He's going to say that later on. That all of a sudden we just we want to be more obedient to his commandments because we love him. No. Because we obeyed him, all of a sudden, he loved us. When we begin to examine this, we begin to see that this New Testament, uh, like in Ephesians 2.10, remember what Ephesians 2.8.9 says? You're saved by grace, through faith. It's not of yourself, but it's him, lest any man can boast. Makes it really, really, really clear that we're not saved because we worked for it. But do you know what it says in Ephesians 2.10, the verse immediately following this statement that we're saved only by grace through the goodness and the grace of God and the kindness and the work of Christ? Ephesians 2.10. 
for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think of it this way. You're not saved by your works, but if you're a Christian, you are saved unto good works. There should be a change, guys. There should be a change. And we're all going to change at different levels. And we're all going to change at different time frames. But if there's no change, no transformation, no, no, that we just feel differently, that we look at things differently, then we need to examine ourselves. Okay, are we really connected to the vine? Are we some of those dead branches that we called out, Lord, Lord, but, but there was never truly transformational change. There was never truly salvation happening in our lives. That's a tough message. Because it's hard to preach that without coming off very judgmental looking. For those who think, well, he's just judging now. I'm not judging at all. These are the words of Christ. They're not blue letters. They're red letters. They didn't put my letters in there. They put his letters in there. And this is what Jesus said. Not to be mean, but to inform. Salvation is not in the New Testament. Salvation in the New Testament is not about a decision. Folks, it's about a conversion. And there may be some that, you know, well, you know, I made a decision. Has there been a conversion? Are you transformed? Do you think differently? In these three relationships, just in this passage, do you think differently about Christ? Do you think differently about other believers? Do you think differently about the world? Because that's what Jesus says happens to those who truly are part of the vine, that their branches on the vine. Look at verse 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him. It is uh, uh, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That word abide there is the key word to John 15. We see it 11 different times. Remember, in, in proper study, if you see a word twice, take note. If you see it three or four times, take special note. If you see it 11 times, go, okay, he's trying to tell me something. And this word abide that Jesus uses over and over and over again in this passage, 11 different times, that word means to remain, to continue, to dwell. And so what he's saying, if we've put into application, he starts saying, okay, yes, we now dwell with Christ. We're We're a branch on this vine. And we're connected to him. Theologically, we've already covered that in the past couple weeks. Now, from a practical standpoint, he says, when you abide with somebody, does abiding with somebody change your life? Anybody abide with a roommate back in college? Man, that's sink or swim, isn't it? You know, some were helpful and some were not so helpful. When you began to abide with your husband or wife, did that transform the way you dealt with life? I would hope so. All of a sudden, because of this change in our life and this abiding, and we were abiding with this person, I guarantee you that some of those uh, changes didn't happen overnight. I imagine there's some couples that have been married 10 years and they're still kind of working on some of the abiding part, you know, and the changing, the transformations. 
It's okay. It's okay. What's not okay is that there's not a change. When Carly and I married, if I began to still think single, was that would that be wrong? I still acted, not just thought, but I just acted single. Would that be wrong? I think everybody in here, especially all the ladies, are going, yeah. And Jesus is saying, man, when you're connected with me, when I change your life, there should be a difference. There should be a difference. Because I abide with you, I want you to abide with me in this abiding, because we're together now, this abiding together, this dwelling together, it's going to make a change in the way that you live your life and the thoughts that you have and the desires that you have. You're not changed because of those desires changing and now all of a sudden you do four things, or don't do four things you used to do, but you were called into this. Look at how he uses this word, John 15, 4. Going real quick. Abide in me and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide with me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He goes on and on and he uses this word abide 11 different times to say now life together is going to make a difference. You want to have transformed love for other people? John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He said, man, you connect with me and you start to understand my love and you're just going to naturally love people differently. Want to be transformed in the way that you obey God? Not see all of his commandments as these you know, big old laws that God is just waiting to throw a lightning bolt at you if you step out of line? Look what he says in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You know what he's saying? That because of our love, because of this relationship, this abiding together, this dwelling together, that all of a sudden I can see this commandment in God's Word and instead of it being something that's offensive to me, that I can say, you know, I really want that in my life. And I wasn't that way before. I hated that commandment. And now I want that commandment. It doesn't happen overnight. No more than that wall that says because two people fell in love. For a long time, because two people fell in love and it was us. And then Ashley comes along. Six years later, Bethany comes along. Because two people fell in love, all of a sudden that picture is starting to grow. Somehow, miraculously, by the grace of God and the goodness of their mother, they turned out all right. And they marry, and they married well. And because two people fell in love, there's some more pictures. And then they're married, and and they decide to have a family of their own. And so we have a couple more pictures. All because two people fell in love. And what Christ is saying, dear church, 
is because I died for you. I sent a savior for you and I saved you from lostness to being found from a foe to sitting at my table. There should be a change in us. Transformational change in the way we think and the way we act. Not because there's a code of Christianity, but because he took out one heart and he put in another heart. What would be on your wall? Please, please hear this compassionately and not judgmentally. What would be on your wall if the center of that wall is all because Christ saved me from my sin? Was that two months ago? Was that two years ago? Was it 10 years ago? Was it 30 years ago? What, what pictures have been added to your life because that's on your wall? That's what Christ is saying. This is not casual Christianity. This isn't life coaching 101. This is being transformed from death to life. And over time, by the grace of God, when you are a branch that's connected to the vine of Christ and, and his love and his obedience and his everything flows into you, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, man, if you're really connected and you dwell, if you abide with me, you're just with me, you're in my word, you're talking to me in prayer, you just, you know, you spend time with me, your life will change and your relationships will be transformed. Next week, we'll look at how Christian relationships are transformed. Then we'll look at how our, trans, uh, our relationships with the world are transformed. But right this morning, one question. What has been added to your wall? If you're able to say this. And some this morning would be able to say, man, I was kind of a hard father. I mean, I was one of those fathers, boom, boom, boom. And what Christ has added to me is compassion. I'm, I still want my, the best for my kids, and so I'm still going to do it. But, but now I have compassion, I have grace. Why? Because the grace of Christ, since he's the vine and I'm the branch, his grace now is transforming the grace that I give my kids. Does that make sense? I won't believe the point. I'm just going, this is what it means, vine, branch. And we're this grape over here. And this fruit that comes out is all dependent on what you're attached to. And since Jesus is the picture of compassion and grace and kindness and love and forgiveness, those transformational kind of things should start happening in our lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. Father, maybe the most amazing thing of the timing of this teaching of Christ is that he knew. Here he uses this word abide 11 times, Father, and yet he knew that 11 guys were about to run out on him in just the coming hours. What a great God you are. That at the very time that Christ most needed in that human form, just his brothers around him, that they failed him. And yet the vine went to the cross, gave his life so that weeks later, months later, and years later, 11 guys 
could experience transformed hearts and minds and lives and turn the world upside down. Do that within your church today, Father. Take us a rebellious people. And Father, show us the beauty of the vine that we might love your commandments, that we might, Father, have compassion, that our joy might be full. And life apart from you, Father, we won't find joy. We'll have moments of happiness, Father, but we won't have true joy. And yet this is your promise this morning. Give us understanding, Father. We love you and we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.